at this time to uh, look to right ahead of you, right on the back of the pew in front of you, there's a connection card. And if you can pull one of those out and fill it out to whatever degree you like, uh, there's on the back you can ask us questions, request anything, and leave it on your pew, and we'll get that later. You know, as you're doing that, I just want to mention a couple of things. Um, you just, just right along, just keep on working on your connection card. But when I think of the family of God, when I think being members of God's kingdom, one of the things that is probably the strongest demonstration of, of the, the love of God, but also the beauty of the family of God, is when we gather and rally around one another when there's a time of need. And I really appreciate so many of you who helped yesterday and, and have helped in so many other times when, uh, when people in our, our church, when, those, when family members of our church have a need and you rally around to help them. So yesterday at the service, I just thank you for, for helping out and, and being there with all your hearts. As we go forward, you know, I just want to mention to you on, the, on your bulletin, we do have some announcements that you can read later. We have a college and young adults. That's today at 1.30. Naturally, we have lunch after service today. And there are other things that we can, uh, well, as you can see on the announcements, I believe we have Jessica's baby shower coming up. But also on the very bottom, refrigerator cleaning. You got something in the refrigerator? You got to get it out because we have the General Assembly this week in our church. And we'll be feeding um, probably uh, over 200 people various times this week. And so they need all the refrigerator room they, they can get. So if you have some in the refrigerator, you don't want to throw it out, please go get it after service today. Kind of weird I'm standing here and not over there. And the reason is, is today we have a very special service. Uh, today um, we're going to have a guest. As Chris mentioned in the early part of the service, we're going to be starting a series on the life of David. David is a very unique character in the Bible, and there's so much to learn from him. And today, to begin our series about David, we have David himself. And this Pastor Corey is going to present to us David in his last days, and it'd be a time of reflection, a time of, of him looking at his life. And so may the Lord bless us and know that we do this. Why? So we can receive from the Lord, we can learn from the Lord. And you know, when we learn from the Lord, many times we're learning about the Lord and about ourselves. So may God bless this time. Good morning. As Pastor Rick said, uh, I am David, and I am the king over Israel. And I've been asked to come here today to share with you a little bit about my life and to look over my life and to recognize some, maybe some highs and some lows, some spiritual successes and also some spiritual failures. And my hope is that as I share that you might be able to resonate with a little bit of what I say because maybe as you look over your own life, you will be able to recognize that you have had your fair share of highs and lows and spiritual successes and even spiritual failures. And to be able to recognize in the midst of that uh, God's hand, that's ultimately what I hope that you will take away from the stories that I present this morning, that God has been so gracious to me. 
In fact, it's been said of me, uh, my life, David was a man after God's own heart. And if that is true, even in the midst of uh, even my failures, that I have been a man after God's own heart, it is only because of the grace of God. And I would hope that we would all be inspired this morning to say, over the course of my life, even in the midst of some of the good times and the bad times, the spiritual successes and the spiritual failures, that we would all be able to have the heart to say, our desire is that our lives would be summarized as a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart. So as I shared uh, my story this morning, that is my hope that you might be inspired to seek after God with all of your heart. Really, to begin my story, I go all the way back to uh, the family I was born into. I was born into a pretty large family. I was the youngest of eight boys. My father's name was Jesse, and he was a sheep herder in Israel. And so many of my earliest memories are taking care of the sheep in the fields and watching over them as they were out to pasture. And even at a young, at a young age, I can recognize that uh, some, some of these characteristics that were in my life uh, throughout my life were present as a young boy. For example, I never wanted to see the innocent harmed. I always had a heart for the helpless. Now, when I was a young boy as a shepherd, it was for those sheep. Sometimes we'd have predators come, and most shepherds would have just said, that's part of the nature of, the, of this uh, career, that you're going to have a loss of a sheep or two. But I never wanted any of the sheep to be harmed. So I always went out of my way, even when it was dangerous, to have a heart for the helpless and the innocent. The second characteristic is kind of related to that. And I would always say that I had a kind of a fighter spirit within me. Uh, I, w- uh, I would always protect the innocent with this spirit that would rise up within me that sometimes would, uh, even in dangerous situations, I'd say, I just can't let it happen. And so I tell you, it almost sounds legendary, but more than once we had like fierce predators come and attack the flock. I'm talking about like lions or bears. And I didn't have a big sword. I was just a boy. I had maybe a knife or a sling. And I would uh, take, after, take after that lion or that bear. And sometimes just with my own two hands, I know it sounds hard to believe, I would kill the lion or the bear in protection of the flock of, uh, of sheep. One day I was out in the fields and I heard the news that the great and uh, most famous prophet of our land, Samuel, was going to come to our house to visit. Oh man, I couldn't wait to get changed out of my sheep herder's gear and to put on my best clothes and to meet this famous prophet. In fact, when I heard the reason that he was coming, I got even more excited. Samuel was the one that had been used by God to anoint the, ki- the first king of our nation, Israel, Saul. But he had received a word from the Lord. I found out that Saul had been rejected as king and someone from my family was going to be anointed as the next king of the nation. Oh man, I just began to picture the scene in my head. I thought, surely it's Abinadab, my oldest brother. I mean, he's tall and he's handsome, he's smart. He's been trained in all the latest military techniques. It's going to be Abinadab. Or maybe it's one of my other brothers. And I was looking forward to this day, but sure enough, my dad said, you know what? You're not coming in the house somebody's got to watch the sheep. You're the youngest. You're stuck to the, to the fields. 
And I stormed off those stupid sheep. I wanted to be in that house. Now, I say stupid sheep, but I, I really actually liked being a shepherd. But man, I wanted to be in there so bad. Now, as Samuel was on his way to our house, the Lord had placed it in his heart. He said, don't, let, uh, don't look at the outward appearance of the man, but consider what was in the heart. And so Samuel comes in with my dad and my brothers all dressed up, and one at a time they begin to pass before Samuel. Abinadab first, and Samuel knew in his heart of hearts that he wasn't the one. And then Shammah, and then one after another, all seven. And he turns to my father, Jesse, and he says, don't you have any other sons? And he says, yes, I have one more. He's out in the field taking care of the sheep. In other words, I didn't even bother bringing him in. He's not kingly material, but Samuel said, bring the boy to me. And so a messenger was sent, and I took off at a dead sprint. I was running into the house. I had to have been a sight to behold when I get in there, all sweat dripping, smelling like the sheep. And all my brothers are all dressed up. I got my sheep herder's gear on. But as I come into the room, Samuel uh, takes the cup of oil, the horn of oil, and begins to pour it down my head. Now, in my culture, that's a clear sign. That's, an, that's the anointing oil. And I don't think I quite knew what was going on at the time. In fact, it was hard for me to grasp that I was being anointed as the next king of Israel. Not only did it, was it hard for me to understand, but I think that the rest of uh, my family couldn't understand it either because after Samuel went on his way, everybody just kind of went back to business as usual. My dad went back to work, my brothers went back to work, and so sure enough, I went back to the fields, and Saul continued carrying on as the king of Israel. Nothing outwardly changed. But I can tell you that on that day, something inwardly did change. I could tell that uh, from that day forward, that God's presence really dwelt with me in a very significant way. In fact, I could tell, and maybe you can relate to this, that the Holy Spirit lived in me. I'd be out just taking care of sheep, and I'd be praying, and I'd be singing, and sometimes the songs of praise would just flow from me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And that was my greatest heart's desire, for God's name, for his name to be glorified, for his name to be honored. And whenever I heard someone dishonored God, oh man, that, that rubbed me the wrong way. I got so irritated. In fact, I remember as a young boy hearing one guy uh, just saying these awful things about God and his people. I just couldn't take it any longer. Uh, all my brothers had gone off to battle, gone off to war, but I was too young to go and fight. So I stayed behind, but my dad wanted a report on what was going on. So he said, go check the front lines and bring, me, bring the, your brothers some food and bring me back a report. I got out there and uh, I met my brothers, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. There was this guy across the way from the, uh, the enemies. Uh, the Philistines, and he was just saying all kinds of nasty things, just one ridicule after another. And he'd be out there shouting, come on, aren't you guys the mighty people of God? Bring me somebody to fight. 
And he'd shout all kinds of insults. You lowlife uh, Israelites, you don't got nobody that can defeat me. And one after another. And I turned to my, the guys next to me and I just said, are you going to take this? This guy's not only ridiculing us as a people, he's ridiculing God himself. And they were a bunch of cowards. Even my brother told, uh, my brother said, sit down and shut up. But I couldn't take it any longer. My ears were burning. And I made myself my way right into the tent of the king. And he said, and said, I'm your man. I'll go and fight the giant. And Saul laughed in my face. You're going to go and fight the giant? You're just a little boy. This guy, this guy's a huge man. I mean, some people said he was as tall as eight, nine, ten feet uh, tall. He said he's been trained at, uh, in, in fighting techniques since his youth. There's no way. But I wasn't about to give up. I pleaded with him. I told him the stories, the stories about how I'd killed the lion and the bear in the field. And to this day, I don't know why he relented. But eventually he said, okay, if you want so badly, you can go and fight this guy called Goliath. And so he got me all dressed up in his armor and I could tell very quickly there's no way this was going to work. And so I said, no, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this my own way. And I made my way out of the back of the tent. And towards just a little ways off, there was a stream of water. And I remember I went down and I knelt by that stream of water. And uh, in the stream, I picked up five smooth stones, put them in my pocket. But even more importantly than that, while I was there, I said a prayer. Dear God, you know my heart's desire that your name would be honored. And I pray that on this day, everyone would know who the true and living, king, who the true and living God is. And with that, I got up and I made my way to the front lines. I could hear the snickering around me. You've got to be kidding me. Is this the best we got? We're dead meat. This, is, this has got to be a joke. Now all this whispering on my side was being shouted right in my face as I stood before Goliath. He shouted insults. What is this, a joke? Am I a dog that you, uh, that you send a boy out with a stick? Am I, I'm going to feed this guy's carcass to the wild birds and just one insult after another. And I slowly took the sling out of my pocket, put one stone in it with a prayer still in my heart, I let that thing fly. There was one part of his body that wasn't covered in armor, right here between his eyes. And sure enough, that's where the stone went. I can still replay the scene almost in slow motion in my mind. I mean, Goliath just stood there staggering. And then as if God gave him a push from the back, he fell face forward, legs stiff like a statue tap, uh, toppling over. And uh, the Israelites behind me, they went nuts. I mean, they were just these, a bunch of cowards a few minutes later were now going wild, just running out, ready to uh, take down any Philistine in their sight. And the Philistines couldn't believe what happened either. They're running around like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off. In the midst of all this chaos, I went and I took Goliath's own sword out of his hand and went and cut off his head. I know that sounds kind of gruesome, but you can imagine the feeling of victory I had as I made my way into the king's tent, the giant's head hanging here by its hair, and his jaw dropped. I think he was just as surprised as anybody. Eventually, he asked me, Who, uh, what family are you from? And I told him, 
My father is Jesse, the sheep herder in Israel, and word was sent, and I was given permission to go and to live in the king's palace. Now, you would have to imagine that this was quite the change. All my days, I'd just been the runt of the family, uh, the one out stuck in the fields taking care of the sheep, and now I'm one of the king's right-hand men. I live in the palace. I'm there with him all the time. But I tell you, this was no walk in the park. Saul was a deeply troubled man. In fact, one of my main responsibilities was when Saul got so caught up with anger and rage and he just couldn't, one of my main responsibilities was I'd take the harp in and I'd just try to play this soothing music. You know, it's pretty musical, so I'd do this and sometimes it would work and sometimes the rage just seemed to continue to boil over until he took his spear and he hurled it at me and I began to fear for my life. In fact, I will tell you that I don't think I would be here today if it was not for his son, Jonathan. Jonathan was like my best friend. And more than once he said, don't show up at dinner at night. Saul is, my dad is in one of his moods and he's going to kill you if you show up. Saul and I would go walking down the streets and they'd sing this song, kind of a little national ditty, so to speak. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And Saul would just be overwhelmed with anger and jealousy. He'd say, how can they say you've killed ten times more men than I have? I'm the king of the, of the land. I'm the commander of the army. And his rage against me would burn. In fact, I got to the point where I actually feared for my life. And Jonathan was the one that told me, you better flee and never come back. And so I took off. But that didn't satisfy Saul. In fact, he came out after me. For 10 years of my life, I lived on the run from Saul and his army. Always just trying to preserve my own life. Sometimes he'd send out troops of 3,000 people. And so just for the sake of my own survival, I kind of gathered a band, uh, an army around me. It was really just this ragtag uh, group of misfits. I mean, people that were on the outcasts of society, people that had committed crimes and couldn't live in normal society, people that were so far in debt, their creditors were after them, people that had messed up so bad at home, their wives kicked them out and said, don't ever come back. This was my army. We were just this, nobody had any military training, and yet, in the midst of this ragtag group of 400 men, over the course of the years, our army grew to about 600 men. But this group actually won some pretty significant battles. I mean, we, we had to go against people that wanted to take us out, and we had to fight, and God gave us victory. And I give the credit to God, because there's no other way. In fact, more than once, we probably could, and I should say probably, we definitely could have taken Saul out himself. I remember, for example, one night it was late at night, and I mean it was pitch black. There was no stars in the sky. The cloud cover covered the moon. And so I gathered one guy, and all that was left was just the coals burning in the fire. I said, let's go over into Saul's camp. We'll sneak in. And we got in, and nobody noticed us. Pitch black. And sure enough, there's Saul laying there sound asleep. The guy next to me uh, elbowed me and said, this is your chance. Take him out. Kill him. 
Now, I had always had in my heart this sense. Saul may be trying to kill me. Saul may be very troubled in the head, but God has still put him in place as king. I never wanted to kill Saul, but I wanted to show Saul that I had had mercy. And so sure enough, laying closest to his head was his water jug and his spear, and I got it, and we made our way out of the camp. When it was a safe distance uh, away, I yelled in, the night. Hey, Abner, where are Saul's water jug and spear? Abner was the guy that was supposed to be watching over Saul while he slept, and he yelled back in the night, who is it? Oh, man, I wish I could have seen Abner's face. The blood must have, it's too dark, I couldn't see, but the blood must have just been draining from his face. He knew he was in trouble. Where are Saul's water jug and spear? He didn't recognize my voice, but I guarantee you Saul did. He knew exactly what had happened. So after all this took place in a, a little while, I heard shot, Saul shout a blessing through the, through the darkness. He said, my son David, may God bless you. May everything you do prosper. And he turned the other way and his army went their own way. Never again did Saul uh, try to chase me down. It wasn't a very long period of time, I'll give you that. In fact, that was the last I had ever heard from Saul, and it wasn't but a couple weeks later that a messenger brought the news that Saul was dead. He was in battle, and the enemy had surrounded him. In fact, there was no way out, and he had told his armor bearer to drive his sword through his, uh, through his chest and to kill him. But the armor bearer said, no, I wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it, and I would have said the same thing. So Saul had to take matters into his own hands, and he Propped the sword up and he fell and he took his own life. I found out that in the same battle, his son Jonathan, my best friend, was also killed. Now you'd think I'd have some mixed emotions, right? You'd think I'd have some joy that the guy that was trying to take out my life was dead, but I had no such joy. Automatically, I was just filled with grief and I tore my clothes and I started to weep. I mean, these guys around me must have thought I was nuts, these hardened criminals that were in my army, but I didn't care. I wept before the Lord because our nation had lost their king and I was grieving for the loss of my very best friend. And I wept like that for days, just crying out to God, God, why this? What do I do now? And as I said, God's presence never left me and eventually God spoke to me again. And he said, go up to the capital city of Jerusalem and become the king of the nation. Or go up to the capital city of Judah and become the king of the nation. And so this prophecy that was placed on my life some 15 years earlier now came to fruition. That I went up there and we engaged in battle and I became king over the land at the age of 30. Reigned there for seven and a half years and then became king over Israel as well. And for the first time in a long time, the united kingdom of Jerusalem prospered. In fact, under my reign, the nation grew from about 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. And we established cities, we built infrastructure, we, we, uh, we initiated trade routes. There was all kinds of things that were going on. It was a time of great success, and I was considered a fantastic king. But I tell you that the, by no means was everything perfect. You know, I told you there would be some things in this story that you would wonder, how could anyone ever say that this guy was a man after God's own heart? One night I went up to my palace and I look over the 
city of Jerusalem. City bustling. I mean, things happening. Things are going well. My men are out to war. We're winning victory after victory. I had it all, right? I had, uh, I had good godly wives in my own house. I had all of these things around me, all the success you want. But I looked out over the city, and there down on a rooftop below was a woman bathing. Now, I knew I wasn't supposed to have this one thing, and I could have easily turned my eyes away in a, in a moment, but I thought, surely no one's going to know. It's, the, it's uh, late at night. His, her husband is off to war fighting for my own country that I was the king of. And yet I asked my servant, bring her to me. Isn't that Bathsheba, Uriah's husband? I don't care. Bring her to me. And I took her in and found out not too long afterwards that she was pregnant. Now I'm in survival mode again, right? I've got to cover this up. We can't have it be known that the king has committed adultery. So I called for her husband Uriah off the battlefield, and he came before me, and I thought, I'm going to wine him and dine him real good, and he'll go home tonight before he has to go back to the battle lines, and he'll be with his wife, and everything will be hunky-dory because they'll assume that he's the father. Well, Uriah was one of these rare men of character that thought if the rest of his troop is off to war that he shouldn't be going home and finding pleasure with his wife, and so he slept at the gate, the, the entrance of the city. Found that out the next morning. Oh, Uriah, you idiot. And I called him back in, and I gave him a note to deliver to the commander of his troop, really his own death sentence. The note said that at just the right time, have the rest of the men retreat, and, uh, and Uriah would be left there to be killed. Well, all this took place, and I brought Bathsheba in to be my own wife, and we thought everything was good, right? But the, but the Lord knows all. Nathan the prophet came and visited me, begins to tell me this story. Two guys in my, in my nation. One, a rich man, has it all. Sheep and cattle on all the hills. Plenty, to, uh, plenty of wealth. A poor guy has one single ewe lamb. Sleeps with the lamb at night. Loves the lamb so much. A visitor comes to see the rich man, and the rich man says, I don't want to kill one of my own sheep. Uh, for the sake of a visitor from a foreign land, and he goes to the, his neighbor, the poor man, and he kills that neighbor's one sheep. Now again, here is my, these characteristics in my heart. This, desire, this heart for the poor, this heart for the helpless, this fighter spirit. I say, bring the rich man to me. Let's take him out right now. Kill him on the spot. And Nathan looks at me, and he points his finger that goes right into my soul, and he says, you are that man. Oh man, I was cut to the quick and I knew exactly what he was talking about. All that God had provided me over and over again, so much success. And yet I would take what God has not given me and I got down on my face and I just wept before the Lord. In fact, my, my, dear, my deepest prayer was, God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. That was my deepest fear that all these years I had, I had lived with, the, with God's presence with me and now surely it would have been justified for God to be taken out of my life. And I prayed, God, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. God had said that the child of this woman would uh, die at birth and sure enough, uh, the, the baby was a stillborn. But God did, but God did remain with me. His 
Spirit continued to live in me. And I walked from that point with repentance. That doesn't mean that everything was, was perfect by any means. In fact, I would fail several times over again as a husband, as a father, as the king. And there was always consequences. Don't get me wrong. God was faithful and he was always with me, but there was all kinds of strife in my own family. Even my son Amnon uh, raped my own daughter Tamar. And I am embarrassed to say it, but I did nothing about it. Talk about a guy with a fighter spirit that has a heart for the innocent. And I did nothing about it in my own family. My son Absalom was so enraged at me that I had to flee for my own life again. He was out to kill me because of the way I had treated my own children. And things like this went on all the time. How could this be a man after God's own heart? Well, I have only one thing to say. And that is, it was the grace of God. In fact, I quoted to you a psalm that I wrote as a young man. I, I ended that psalm by saying, surely the goodness and the mercy will, uh, surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was my only hope, that the goodness and mercy of God would follow me all the days of my life. And that has been the case. God has been merciful to me over and over again. And maybe you look at your own life as well and you recognize that there have been some ups and some downs. You have, even in the midst of your greatest successes, when things were all going well, there were times that you fell into temptation and you uh, turned away from the Lord. You're embarrassed to say it, just as I'm embarrassed to say it too. But that is reality. Our only hope is the goodness and mercy of God, that it would follow us all the days of our lives, and that we would dwell in God's presence, dwell in the house of God. Now, when I, I quote this song in English, and it sounds kind of weak and passive to me, to be honest with you. It sounds kind of like one of those lost sheep that I used to take care of in the fields, kind of tagging along like a pitiful little pet. Surely goodness and mercy will just kind of tag along be behind. No, when I wrote this psalm in the, in the Hebrew, it was meant to be more active. And it's meant to be more like surely goodness and mercy will chase us down all the days of our lives. Kind of like a lion after its prey that it will not give up until it has what it's after. Surely God's goodness and mercy will chase us down all the days of our lives. Because if it's dependent on our own strength, it's dependent on our own willpower to follow God, then we are in deep trouble. But the goodness and the mercy of God is in hot pursuit. And that is, a, that is our heart's desire for every one of us that God would chase us down and not let us get away. So if any of our lives are to be characterized as men or women after God's own heart, then it will be because of the Lord's leading in our lives that he will be our good shepherd, that he will guide us in the ways that he would have us to go, and that when we do fail, that we might lead lives of repentance and humility that we would continually come before God and to plead with him that he would continue to work in our lives. And that's the promise, that surely the goodness and the mercy of God 
will chase us down all the days of our lives. Before I leave you this morning, I'd like to actually take a minute and pray for you if you don't mind. And I'm going to use uh, the psalm that has become known as Psalm 23 as our prayer. That God would, that we would be able to recommit our lives to Him and to call upon Him as our shepherd to, uh, to lead us in the paths of righteousness that He would have us to go in. So let's bow our head and close our eyes and let's pray. O oh Lord, you are our shepherd. And it is only in you that we do not have want. God, I pray for every person that is here this morning. God, I pray that they would be able to find the heart's desires, not in the things of this world, not in material or earthly successes, but in you alone, God. Help us to seek after you. God, help us to lie down in green pastures that you lead us in by your Spirit. Lead us beside quiet waters, and I pray that you would restore our souls. I have a feeling that every one of us that is here could use your soul restoration power. God, give us hearts for you. Draw us to yourself. Lead us in paths of righteousness. Help us to go in the way that you would have us to go. And may you do it for your own namesake, that you would be honored and that you would be glorified. And God, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when we go through the most difficult of times, God, I pray that we would not fear. We would fear no evil, for we know that you are with us, God. That your rod and your staff, they comfort us. That your protection is all around us and that you will beat the enemy away, that you will watch over us. God, thank you that you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. In other words, that you give us all kinds of successes. And it might not always be worldly successes, but God, you provide for us over and over again and that you anoint our head with oil, our cup overflows. And God, I pray that our lives would overflow with things like joy and peace and mercy and love, that we as your people would just by your Spirit overflow the things of you as we seek to live for you and interact with others. And God, we have this promise that surely goodness and mercy will chase us down all the days of our lives that you will not give up on us. And God, that may be what our hearts need this morning. Maybe we feel like we have drifted a long ways off and we pray, we thank you that you're not going to give up. In fact, we pray for your mercy and your goodness as power to seek us in our lives, to draw us close to yourself. We are dependent upon you. And so we humble ourselves before you. We repent before you. And we ask that you would work in our lives and in our hearts. And God, may we dwell in your house forever. May every day we walk with your presence. May every day we walk with a keen awareness that you are with us and that you love us and that you are working in our lives. So we pray all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.